Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. Need an easy button to feed your baby? Baby Bretza's Formula Pro Advanced makes a perfectly mixed warm formula bottle automatically at the push of a button. No air bubbles, no fuss. Literally, choose your temp, select your ounces, push start, and you're done. Works with virtually all formulas and bottles. Say goodbye to the 3 a.m. feeding chaos and hello to this revolutionary stress-free solution. Raising a baby is hard enough. Let Baby Bretza make feeding a breeze. Get your Formula Pro Advanced at babybrezza.com. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. This is a production of Journalista Podcast, LLC, and iHeartRadio. They are the moral equal of our founding fathers and the brave men and women of the French Resistance. We cannot turn away from them. But the struggle here... The struggle here is not right versus left. It is right versus wrong. Welcome back to the Journalista Podcast. That was President Reagan comparing the Nicaraguan Contras to our founding fathers. I think George Washington just turned over in his grave. This episode is about terror as it pertains to Central America in the 80s. Who did it? Where it came from? Who funded it? And who bore the brunt of the evil that was unleashed? Told primarily through the eyes of two journalists. You already know Cookie, but you're about to meet one of the rising stars of CBS News. Boy, does she have a story to tell. But first, Cookie makes an insidious discovery. You worked with Larry Doyle and you worked with Richard Wagner. You were the creme de la creme. They were both highly respected in their field. They had seen it all everywhere in the world. And by the way, rest in peace, Richard Wagner. He was a wonderful, wonderful correspondent to work with. So I think we're on a junket. We're heading to the jungles for something, some story, or we're just looking for a story. We had several vehicles in our convoy. And then all of a sudden, in between two of the vehicles, a mortar blows up. We all exit the vehicles get in the dirt, and start crawling. We're whispering to each other because we don't know where the enemy is, who was responsible for the mortar attack. And all of a sudden, I hear on the side of me some soldier whispering, Cookie, Cookie, is that you? And Richard Wagner and Larry Doyle both turn around in the dirt look at me, and Richard Wagner says, I cannot believe that someone knows you right here where we are. This soldier helped guide us to safety. We eventually got back to our vehicles to continue on our junket. We took him back with us, so we sort of saved him from whatever was going on in that mortar attack, because a few more mortars went off, but we got out safely. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it was this guy. He was a Sandinista soldier, not very educated, probably a grunt, doing grunt work, had come across a book. It was in English, and he really didn't know what it meant. He says, I have something. I don't know if it means anything, but I'd like to give it to you. Can you tell me what it means? And so I'm reading it, 
And I'm like on the inside, freaking out. I'm acting like it's no big deal. I turned to Richard Wagner and I said to him, can you look at this and confirm what I think it is? So Richard's reading it and I could see he's getting the same visceral reaction that I did. And he says, this is a goddamn CIA torture manual. The manual was compiled in 1983 by a CIA advisor to the Contra rebels, instructing them in the techniques of political assassination, guerrilla warfare, and torture. According to the Washington Post, U.S. Army intelligence manuals were used to train Latin American military officers, advocating the use of executions, torture, blackmail, and other forms of coercion. The same brutal techniques used successfully by Honduran and Salvadoran death squads. What it was, basically, was a manual that the CIA had put out, obviously, you know, hush-hush, teaching them how to torture Sandinistas so they could stop them from going over to the Sandinista side and get them to come over to the Contra side. It was horrific. It was a how-to, peeling off faces, peeling off the soles of feet, beheading, putting the head on a stake, It was a torture manual. What's the purpose of that? To create terror among the civilians and even probably to some of the soldiers to come to our side, come to our way of thinking. This is what President Reagan had to say about the CIA manual. Mr. Reagan said the dispute over a manual on guerrilla warfare prepared for Nicaraguan rebels by the Central Intelligence Agency was, quote, much ado about nothing. I have had some information on it, and have been assured that there's not one word in there that refers to assassination. By the way, anyone who's listening to this, you can actually access it online. Really? Yes, it's available online. I'm just telling them right now. Can I say I did not know that? Yeah. So America was teaching torture and terror. Not totally surprising. We had similar revelations revealed during the insanity following the attack on 9-11 in Iraq and Afghanistan. Cookie introduces us to the amazing Jane Wallace, former CBS News correspondent, who finds another piece of the puzzle, quite by accident. Jane Wallace was an extraordinary and is an extraordinary person. She was on-air talent, whether it be morning news, evening news, weekend news, West 57th. She did it all. She was CBS's golden girl. She was someone you could rely on in battle, in the hard times. You knew she had your back. She was funny. She was brilliant. She was a grunt when she needed to be a grunt. She got down and dirty when she needed to get down and dirty. She was never a prima donna. The crews loved her. The suits loved her. She was one of us. Jane wanted to go to El Salvador, but the CBS patriarchy had other ideas. I had to fight to get sent to Central America by CBS because I was a girl. I was supposed to go to Salvador, and then at the last minute, somebody says, oh, no, you're going to Honduras. Treat me but El Salvador was because I couldn't imagine. I just could not imagine any place where they would actually murder and rape nuns. It is reported today from El Salvador that four Americans have been killed there. This was the first time that Americans seemed to have been singled out by a death squad. They were shot, execution style, bullets to the back of the head. Later, their bodies were found in a shallow grave. The New York Times said this about the crime. The church women were arrested after two of them went to Comolapa International Airport to meet the other two, who were arriving on a flight from Nicaragua. After members of the security corps took the women to a remote location, they were given the order, quote-unquote, to liquidate them, to kill them. Robert White, who was the American ambassador to El Salvador at the time of the killing, said, When the act was done, I knew immediately it was the military. That would be the same military funded and supplied by the United States of America. I remember being stunned in my early 20s. I covered it as part of a local news story in New York. I just honestly couldn't imagine the kind of evil that would murder and rape nuns and then toss them by the side of a road. But that was Salvador. I didn't come into Honduras with any preconceptions, except I'd rather be in El Salvador. (laughs) 
And then it turned out any information that was really to be had about Nicaragua or information about what was going on in Central America usually originated in Honduras, which I found out by accident by having been stuck there because they thought they'd put the girl where nothing was going on. There is no war there, allegedly. There's, it's just a country. You get there and it's like, well, for a country with no war, there's sure a lot of people who look like professional warriors or something. I mean, it was, a, it was supposed to be a civilian country. And they sent me to Honduras because they assumed nothing was happening there. So, okay, we'll let her go. We'll shut her up. And we're sending her to the backwater of history. <laughs> So I end up in Honduras. You could smell it. In retrospect, you could just smell it. The minute you got on the ground in this country, what was going on in front of your eyes and what was supposed to be happening did not match. And so I get off a plane. I've never done anything like this. I just bugged them to go. But no, it is a very sleepy. I mean, Honduras is the original banana republic. The banana companies ran the country. It was a piece of real estate, basically, claimed by various people over the years, but a soulless backwater. And I land, and Jesus, there's just way too many beefy Americans in tight t-shirts who are a foot taller than the locals. Even if they tried to dress the same way and they couldn't even button those local shirts, they stood out and there's too many of them. Okay, so you're saying there's some indigenous band of fighters that's on the border out there? Who's booking all the rooms over there at the big hotel? Because it didn't match right off the top. No, it just screams spooks. And if you did something so bold as to say, oh, excuse me, where are you from? Oh, Ohio. What are you doing here? You never got a straight answer out of anyone. And it was just really smelly off the top. It took me a while to figure this out. But someone finally told me that that Honduran setup was the third largest CIA station in the world. The second largest outside of Moscow. I'm sorry, in this country? What are we doing here exactly? Because I'm asking that question because there's too many beefy white guys and nobody will tell you what they do for a living. And oh, by the way, what industry do we have here exactly besides government propaganda and dirty wars? The Contras had been formed out of the old Somoza forces. And those guys were seriously bad news. These alleged fighters, even before the big Reagan showdown with them, these guys were, as the kids say now, sus. These guys were sus from Jump Street. They were dubious. No one ever walked in the room and said, these upstanding, fine guys who are clean soldiers from, no one ever said that about the Contras. Nothing's ever established as a truth. It's always spongy. It's always moving. And the guys who fronted for the Contras in Tegucigalpa, what a name for a city, huh? They just weren't real. There was sort of dark clouds hanging around those guys. And they had this guy fronting the PR in Tegucigalpa he wasn't a fighter. He certainly was not a believer in anything. The whole operation in Honduras was suspect. And so early in my time of covering it, somebody had leaked the manual, the torture manual, that was part of the training of the Contras. Why was anybody training people in torture? What's this about? Aren't we supposed to be done with these tactics? You know, and we were supposed to have been done with those tactics. You know, America brought some real good imports to that place. The Contras were being trained and supplied in Honduras by the CIA and leaders of the Honduran death squads. I didn't know what to think. I was so rude, but I was also young and tired and hot and naive to just be direct. Made an appointment. I got some time with... PR guy for the embassy. And I walked into his office on the embassy grounds, closed his door, and said, yes, I'm Jane Wallace from CBS News. What the fuck is going on in this country? And he burst into laughter. He'd never had anybody be that direct. And he knew I was smelling exactly what they were trying to cover up all over town. And that was the beginning of my time in Honduras and the beginning of my time in Central America. 
because virtually everything the Americans were doing that they didn't belong doing was headquartered in Honduras and done against Nicaragua or through Salvador. Certainly the worst kept secret in Central America. That's for sure. No kidding. And for good reason. They were just so obvious. But it was such a backwater, they didn't figure anybody was going to notice. But Jane noticed. And she's headed to Nicaragua to cover one of the most brutal stories of her professional life. We'll be right back. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today you deserve a moment to yourself every single day and a delicious bite of a keebler sandies can give you that comforting pause <sighs> celebrate the end of your work day with the melt in your mouth magic of a keebler sandies this magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by ernie and the keebler elves so as another busy thursday flies by make the most of your me moment take a pause and enjoy a keebler sandies For four years, we've been helping to wage the world's worst-kept secret war, training and equipping a force known as the Contras, who are trying to overthrow the government of Nicaragua, a government the Reagan White House believes is a communist threat in our own backyard. What kind of war are we paying for? And who are they killing? Welcome back. That was Jane Wallace in the opening of an episode of the CBS News magazine West 57th billed as a younger, hipper version of 60 Minutes. The Christian Science Monitor called it a ditzy, disco-beat docu-mag for viewers with short attention spans. The New York Times said, it isn't really television, and it certainly isn't journalism. It's as if news and entertainment fell into combat and either side won. I don't know about all that, but the show is popular, and its coverage of Nicaragua and the Iran-Contra affair was nothing short of astonishing. I spoke with Jane about a story she did for West 57th, one of the biggest stories of her career. But first, she has something to say about Cookie. Was there a particular story that sent you into Nicaragua, or did you just go there? Oh, God, I think I just got sent there. It was a horrible place to go to. The people were poor, they were hungry, the country was going nowhere, and the only good thing about going to Nicaragua was Cookie. She was the saving grace of being in Managua. If she had been what she appeared to be, sort of a party girl, and just a fixer, or I'll make a call and then I'm going to go get high, she wouldn't have been cookie. The truth is that woman knew what she was doing, and she was born to it as a journalist. She wasn't trained to it. How CBS got so lucky as to find and hire her I don't know. She was the only reason anyone could cover that war. In addition to being as clever and as completely charming and tank-topped and skinny and Riley and all of that, she knew what she was doing and she cared. She was never going to tell you that. She didn't have to. It was unspoken. 
One of the big stories that came out of your tenure there was what they call the Contra Atrocities story. And it involves a lot of your colleagues and a lot of people that you rolled with all the time. So tell me a little bit about how this kind of came to pass and, and where it went. We witnessed Contra Atrocities way before the story that I'm about to tell you. Massacres of women and children, massacres of soldiers, torture techniques. So all these atrocities that we had seen firsthand got what I like to call the dream team. Leslie Coburn, producer, Jane Wallace, on-air talent, Manny Alvarez, camera crew, with Irv Reinhardt, sound, sometimes George Boza, and myself. We were considered the dream team at CBS. We adored each other, we worked well with each other, and we would each of us go to the ends of the earth for each other. Clearly a band of brothers. Leslie calls me and tells me, listen, we want to do a Contra atrocity story. We've heard about this American nun that lives in, again, the asshole of the world, in the jungles. We hear that she's got a lot of stories and she's got a lot of victims that survived these atrocities that she takes care of. She was in some remote end of the earth place called Siuna. Leslie Coburn is an award-winning producer and journalist, covering wars with CBS, ABC, and PBS's Frontline. By all accounts, the best there is. She's also Olivia Wilde's mom, who Cookie first met as a toddler. In a chapter from her book, Looking for Trouble, Leslie tells us what motivated her to do this story. My intention was to get out of the capital and into the remote countryside where the war was being fought. Reports filtering out from priests and nuns suggested a systematic use of classic terror tactics. New clinics stocked with Cuban medicine were blown up. Volunteers carrying vaccines into the jungle had their throats slit. Even American nuns were kidnapped and threatened with rape. I wanted to establish at what level the tactics were sanctioned by Washington. Cookie was game. Her translating skills were essential because she spoke the archaic peasant Spanish prevalent in the countryside. Jane collaborated with Leslie for years on some of the biggest stories of the 80s. Leslie was further left than I was by entry and belief. I didn't share that. I didn't have the left-right baloney because it turned out to be a, a set of choices that didn't fit what was on the ground anyway. I was nervous about having to do the story. I was not anxious to do it, except that I knew there was a reality there that needed to be revealed. I knew there was ugliness. And I knew it was not at all what was being touted in the States. Oh, gee, freedom, give me a break. It was disillusioned very quickly, but the Americans really needed to know what was being done in their name. We were totally committed to trying to get to the places no else had gotten to, to talk to people face to face. And it took more than anybody bargained for. The region had been closed off to journalists by Interior Minister Tomas Borges. Because it was controlled by the Contras, it was too dangerous. Leslie asked Cookie to set up a meeting with him. Cookie Jane and I arrived to find ourselves ushered into a private dining room at the officers' club with a well-appointed table for six. It seemed Borges, infatuated with Jane, had thoughtfully brought two friends in tow. I was paired off with a well-traveled ambassador, Cookie was assigned to a rakish general. We survived this absurd lunch without disgracing ourselves, and by the time we returned to the CBS Bureau, a dozen roses were waiting for Jane. Needless to say, they got the permission they wanted. But that was the easy part. If you're going to stage some lies, like the Contras are a really great all-American fighting force, you stage that lie in a place where no one can get to it to hold the light up to it. That's what they had done. So these places were remote isn't the word for it. They were inaccessible for the most part, except by donkey. Was it a long trek to get to where you were going? Everywhere we went for that story was a place no one was meant to go to. The logistics in these places were hideous. The roads were not meant to be driven on. 
The vehicles had no air conditioning. It was, you know, 100 degrees with 98% humidity in Managua by about 11.30 in the morning. I never wanted to go to that country again as long as I lived. Their journey soon devolves into a dark Central American version of planes, trains, and automobiles. Except with a Russian biplane, a couple of beat-up old Chevy Impalas, and an indigenous canoe called a Papante. They spend the first day driving to the last vestige of civilization they would see for a couple of weeks, Rio Blanco, hooking up with a military convoy for a couple of hours, then traveling alone through the Contra-infested territory at night. Leslie describes it like this. Our odds of being attacked were 50-50. We were easy prey for an ambush. The thought of who was waiting in the darkness flayed my nerves. No one spoke. I steadied myself, breathed deeply, and let Bonnie Raitt belt through my headphones. You go through 10 flat tires in a day. You couldn't count on getting anywhere. So by the time you're rolling up somewhere, a lot has gone into having those tires underneath you and any idea of where you're going. So that's how we ended up taking that canoe. The road stopped. What are you going to do? You take a canoe and try and hit something on the other side. You can't just drive through in a car. It doesn't. I mean, nothing works like that. Where they are heading is so remote and inaccessible, the only way to get there is through the air. I've got to set up a plane, which is one of these rinky-dink, two-propeller, clapboard planes that once you get on, you're not sure if you're going to get to where you're going. And we all head to Siuna to meet the nun. Now, this is a town that has no paved roads, shacks. They didn't even have electricity. It's hard for me to describe the kind of desolation of these places. And like something was there once that got ruined, all it is is a difference slightly in the vegetation or a pile of graves somewhere. So we go, we meet with the nun, Sister Something, and we proceed to do our story. And with that gal, the nun we spoke to first, I remember sitting on her porch trying to do an interview This porch was so small, I'm chewing my knees across from this woman who has an equally small space because there's nowhere else with any shade to shoot an interview. Manny fell asleep on my shoulder because he'd taken so much Dramamine in anticipation of this Russian biplane. The guy is such a great cameraman that he never went out of focus. Never. Not once. I heard him snoring. Wow. Yeah. Never lost focus. What is she telling you about? She's telling us about all these atrocities and how she's keeping the faith, helping these survivors, which were mostly children that we were getting ready to meet. The nun introduces them to Guadalupe Davila, a 14-year-old girl who survived a recent Contra attack. Family was murdered by the Contra in November when the baby was six days old. The parents were murdered? Yes. Other members of the family as well? uh, A brother of the mother, his girlfriend, the four-year-old brother of this baby. In this interview with Guadalupe, you can hear Cookie translating. Her story is hard to listen to. Did they shoot them? Los tiraron. Sí. Y a mi papá de Goya. Y tu papá? De Goya. They slit his throat. How about your mother? ¿Qué le hicieron a tu mamá? La mataron y después la desnudaron. They killed her and then they took her clothes off. And what happened? They burned her clothes and then they peeled off her face. Oh, God. It's a horror. You know, it's one thing to sort of think people are behaving in that kind of almost pure evil. It's another thing to hear that through the mouth of a child who's lost a parent or who's had to witness something like this. That's almost unfathomable as a human being. They interviewed a priest with a similar story. Rape a girl of 14 years old because her father was uh, a member of a committee, cut off her head and put her head along the, the trail so that the rest of the campesinos get the idea that in no way should they be participating in some kind of government-sponsored organization. Jane spoke to twin brothers who witnessed Contra atrocities firsthand. The twins survived the killing that left their father and friends dead in a ditch. 
la contra iba a quemar a los milicianos. Y... One of the contras said, let's set all of these dead people on fire. And their boss said, no, let's just throw them all in the ditch and let them be buried there. And what happened then? Y después, ¿qué pasó? ¿Qué hicieron ellos? They acabaron de matar a unos niños que habían quedado solo tirados. Then they finished off a couple of kids that were just wounded. They finished them off, they killed them? Yes. In front of you kids? En frente de ustedes lo mataron. Sí. What happened to your daddy? Le pelaron el pellejo de la cara y de los pies. They pulled off the skin off his face and his feet. When you're standing there in Nicaragua and you're looking into a child's face, it's otherworldly dark. It is hard to grasp it as a reality because it's so damn dark. Who would do this to another human being in front of their child? To do this by design? To people who are campesinos? These are simple folks. These are the people that will share their tortillas with you if that's all anybody's got. They'll give them to you. And they aren't political. It's overwhelming that this is real human experience. And someone did that to this person. Or a group of people with power, for whatever reason, did that to these people who didn't have any, which is why they were stuck for it. And it still overwhelms me what they did, what the Contras did to some of these people. In listening to the interview, the one thing that I was taken by, other than the obvious horror that they're describing, there's a solemn quality around just talking to someone. I was hearing your words. I was hearing the children or the victims speaking about what happened. And I was hearing Cookie's translation. And there was like this kind of a strange respect, something very powerful happening in that three-way exchange. Yes. There's not a lot of extra jabber or talk. I mean, all of us were just tuned in. There's a real deep respect for somebody having been so badly treated. Those kids, oh my God, you know, I looked at these pieces again and thought, wonder how she grew up with that. I wonder what happened. I wonder who raised that baby. I mean, how can you look and not wonder what kind of an effect that had on their lives? Remember, in the larger world, they're still talking about how to figure out if your husband's cheating on talk shows. But there you are. You're looking in the face of a baby who lost both parents. And someday someone will tell them this horrific story about why they're dead. Yes, you know you're doing important work. And the only reason to do that work was to try and find out what the hell went on there. The tactics are what we call terrorist tactics. They are not military tactics. Edgar Chamorro was one of the top political leaders of the Contra group, FDN. He was fired last November, the FDN says, for incompetence. Neither Jay nor I expected him to be nearly so forthcoming about the Contra army that he had helped run. How much did and does the CIA know of the abuses taking place? How long have they known of those abuses? They knew everything. They, they were all the time with us, very close to us. They were monitoring all the, the action. They were briefing, debriefing. They were in close contact in our bases with our men. They were exposed to all atrocities, abuses. Did the White House know about these abuses? We talk only to high people in the CIA, and the, those people used to say that the White House knows very well what was going on. In her book, Leslie sums this up in one horrible nutshell. A CIA field manual was the Bible of the camps. With the manual, they were condoning the practical use of terror. I had never heard of people peeling other people's skins or someone beheaded in their head put on a pole for others to see the brutality of it or that your government had a hand in this actually happening to people. It's beyond the pale. I want to finish with a great piece of journalism something we don't see much of these days. Jane Wallace doing her thing old school, sweating out a contra-military leader. And I heard the commandantes that they have executed people in cold blood because they were part of the Sandinista machinery. Is someone who teaches reading a legitimate target? Someone who teaches reading for the government? 
is someone who works on a cooperative for the government a legitimate target? No, listen. The... Is someone who gives vaccinations a legitimate target? No. Is somebody whose relative is in the army or the militia no. a legitimate target? No. We... Are you saying you only attack military targets and military people? Yes. In uniform. For sure? In uniform. In uniform. Then or, why do these or, civilians? Or armed. They have to be in uniform or they have to be armed. Armed, right. I guess the Contra soldiers that slaughtered these families didn't get the memo. In the next segment, the Dream Team is invited by Contra soldiers to witness an actual war crime. We'll be right back. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today you deserve a moment to yourself every single day and a delicious bite of a keebler sandies can give you that comforting pause <sighs> celebrate the end of your work day with the melt in your mouth magic of a keebler sandies this magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by ernie and the keebler elves so as another busy thursday flies by make the most of your me moment take a pause and enjoy a keebler sandies Welcome back. I'll be honest, there are several accounts of this story, all a little bit different. I'm not sure how it actually went down. All I know is that it actually happened, and they all agree on how it ended. After days and days traveling difficult terrain, trying to track down the most despicable stories of terror, the crew is approached by a Contra soldier. He wants them to see something. We were approached by someone that said, we'd like you to come take pictures of something that's going to happen in a few days or in a day or so. We didn't know who this person was. We found out later that he was playing like he was a Sandinista, but he was in league with the Contras. And so we were taken out to this remote area where these Contras had a POW, a Sandinista prisoner. Manny Alvarez, the cameraman for the Dream Team, sets it up for us. The Contras had captured a spy, who they called a spy, a peasant. They wanted us to not film, but to take pictures of what was about to happen. And it was this poor guy digging and digging and digging. And it didn't take us long to realize they're making him dig his own grave. At this point, we're getting a little nervous because we're taking pictures. We obviously see what is going to be the inevitable result of this. And then are they going to kill us for witnessing and taking pictures? But these were, again, a group of Contras that weren't very educated, didn't even realize, you know, what they were letting us witness, how it could affect the grand scheme of things. And sure enough, the poor guy is digging and digging. I think that maybe he even realized that he was digging his own grave, but hoping against hope. They put him in the grave and they stabbed him. They killed him with a bayonet, a knife. Why they didn't just shoot the guy, I have no idea. I mean, they certainly had enough bullets. The victim was a civilian, 
accused by the Contras of collaborating with the Sandinistas. When I went to FDN, I found that the, I mean, this thing that the CIA used to give us was a big knife, you know, it's called commando knife. Everybody wanted to have a knife like that. And the knife was to kill people, to cut their throats. So we've got these still photos, and they're going to let us walk away, which we did. Still photos don't do much for video people. Like news. Like news. How are we going to post still shots on the news? Yeah, like CBS isn't Life magazine. Right. You're showing your age there with Life magazine. So we decided we're just going to send these pictures to New York and let them see what they can do with it. Because obviously this is a contra atrocity. They took those still photos and they made it work. Like with cartoons, you know, when you animation, you shuffle the papers so quickly it, it looks like it's moving. Yeah, they just animated the photos. Yeah. Do you remember the moment this is happening where you think you guys are kind of in danger in this moment? Oh, we all thought that. What's to stop them from killing us? Are you just sort of stuck in there? Like, you can't leave, you can't go forward, you're just sort of... We're stuck in there, but at the same time, we know, hey, we need this. This is great. This is some sort of exclusive. And that's what war correspondents are all about, the risk to get the story. But yeah, there was some fear of that. But then again, if they killed us, then their story wouldn't get out. Can you imagine being someone who thinks this would be a good story for the news? Come see. Yeah. Insane. Insanity. The photographs show a man whom the other troops had determined was a spy being murdered, forced to dig his own grave, cut up. Mm. What do you think of that? Well, I think it wasn't necessary to do it the way they did it. Was not necessary? Not because they could be shot, that's all. But you have no problem with people being murdered at the whim of the he, troops? He was a spy, according to what the report said. And in war, the spy had to be punished in that way. One of the strangest things about war, as we've talked about it over this podcast and in just in general, is like, what becomes okay to people? Soldiers, victims, and journalists alike. Everybody gets to a point that they're numb. Now, that was one thing I tried to fight against my whole career, not getting so numb to the point where things didn't affect me or matter to me anymore. And for the most part, it worked. There was one story that didn't make it to the West 57th broadcast. What happened was that after days and days and days of either trying to get to these remote places, and I mean scraping it out, whether it's changing tires for the 15th time, and could anybody have a Coke in this town that's maybe, you know, less than 80 degrees? After days and days of that, and then you finally interview somebody and you're hearing about this horrific stuff, just horrific human experience. You still have to get up the next morning and keep trying to find the next one and see what's going on. After all they've seen and heard, they get one more interview. He wasn't even like a farmer, like, you know, some guy that he did have his own house of some sort. But houses there are kind of limited deals. This is not a two-story ranch with a couple of cars out front. Most of these places didn't have a TV Radio was a big deal, but it was that isolated and that remote and that hard. We were kind of in, I want to say it was a sugarcane area, or so we were kind of outside amongst the trees. This guy was a little old guy, little peasant, dark skin, typical Nicaraguan peasant. And he starts telling us the story of his encounter with the cultures. You know, I'm shooting, uh, James in front of me. Leslie's off to the side, and Irv is right behind me running the audio. So we're listening to this guy's story, and I think his property had been torched. He was being attacked, his wife was there, and he was relaying this story about having some... <laughs> oh, God. Oh, 
I believe he was describing, we're out in this field, you know, like a side yard of a place that once existed. You know, Central America began to feel like it was a side yard of a place that once existed more than once. But this guy had shown us around this tangled property, but it's not even like you can tell the edge of the yard. This really is not easy to discern. This guy is telling us about watching someone else be attacked, like, but someone close in his family. And he lifts up his hand like he's got a dagger in it. And for some reason, the move he makes is very animated. (laughs) He makes a gesture like he's being stabbed in the throat. But it looks like all of a sudden it could have come out of a Roadrunner cartoon. And I hear Cookie start to go. She's right down below me because I'm standing up talking to the guy. She's translating, so I'm hearing the sound come up. But I... I don't know why, but without looking down, I can feel her back starting to go up and down. And I knew when he made this gesture that she'd lost it. She was gone. She was starting to laugh. Something triggered us, like on a Saturday night live skit, when somebody starts laughing and they all start laughing and can't control the laughter. I don't know why I started laughing, but I found it just, I couldn't hold it in. Then I heard Manny behind me, <laughs> and he'd seen the same thing. It was just out of nowhere. We all noticed this hysterically cartoonish gesture in the middle of this guy telling this horrible story, but it was funny. And so Manny started to lose it behind me. I felt Leslie go, and by the time I started laughing, I, I was the most ashamed. In the world, and uncontrollable laughter. We're all giggling. We're trying to hide it. We're trying to act normal. And the poor guy just had no idea what he had said, why it triggered us that way. And we didn't want him to think that we were laughing at him. Do you remember the look on his face when you were laughing? He just didn't know what was going on. You know, he was an uneducated, humble peasant that had no clue why we were laughing. And he didn't take it personally. It was horrifying for us. Nothing had been funny in so many days. Everything had just been god awful. And all of a sudden, this one little gesture, like the guy is stabbing himself in the throat, struck all of us as that fucking funny. And meanwhile, this guy's sitting there looking at us like, are you people insane? Cookie's down below. She doesn't have to look him right in the face. Manny's behind me with a lens to his eye. Leslie's off, turning around on one side. And I'm stuck looking the guy in the face. And I have tears. I'm laughing so hard that there are tears running down the sides of my face. I'm trying to lie. I'm not a liar by nature, but I'm like, oh, no. You know, we're laughing because she got something in her eye. And and I've never, ever felt that ashamed as I did that day laughing in this man's face. Never. And I can still see him doing this uh, uh, gesture. (laughs) And... All of us were mortified that we lost it. All of us. But it was kind of one of those moments where, you know, in the middle of all the horror, for whatever reason, you know, we found a moment where something ended up at least seeming to be one of those indescribable moments where you wish that had never happened. The most embarrassing, horrifying moment of my career and, of course, of Jane's career, of Manny's career. We cannot stop laughing. That is such a terrible and funny story all mixed together. Funny and god-awful. But that was Central America. It was funny and god-awful. God-awful and funny. Full of lies, full of beans. Full of, oh, my God. But if you didn't laugh, you would just not be able to get up and work. Again and again and again. Every time I'm talking to somebody about that story, like I talked to Manny, he goes, oh, that was the that might have been my worst day ever in the field. That was one of the worst. I'm so ashamed. You're not going to put that in there, are you? And I'm like, well, everybody keeps bringing it up. So I think it's a tale that feels like a part of something, not its own standalone thing. It's not like you're laughing at some poor peasant. It's a result of the whole experience. It was pent up nervousness on our end. Maybe it was because we had witnessed so many horrible things on that trip. 
heard about so many horrible things, saw the results of survivors. Is it one of those kind of things where it's just all of the anxiety and all of the agony that you've witnessed just sort of all comes up in this really wrong way? Yeah, like if you're at a funeral and you just start getting the giggles and you don't know why. The Contra Atrocity Story aired on West 57th in August of 1985. Americans were finding out for the first time what was really happening in Nicaragua, what their own government was paying for. Next time on Journalista. Cookie saves the world from mutually assured nuclear destruction. There were some rumors about some possible Russian MiG aircraft headed to Nicaragua. The State Department of the U.S. is not happy with this. And I think that you should know that. They're saying there will be a problem if this weaponry makes it into Nicaragua. The Journalista podcast features the stories and voice of Cookie Hood, narrated by Stephen Esteb. Produced by Sean J. Donnelly. Executive producers, Jason Wagensback, Roy Laughlin, and Ellen Kay. iHeart executive producer, Tyler Klang. Written and edited by Stephen Esteb. Music by Jay Weigel. Associate producer and sound design, Stephen Tonti. Sound mixing by Jesse Solon-Snyder. Special guests, Lloyd Schur. The amazing Jane Wallace. Rachel Whitman-Groves as the voice of Leslie Coburn. Manny Alvarez. Special thanks to Esplanade Studios, The Ranch Studios, Jason Gervitz, Kyle Frederick, Zach Slaff. This is a production of Journalista Podcast, LLC, and iHeartRadio. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. Need an easy button to feed your baby? Baby Bretz's Formula Pro Advanced makes a perfectly mixed warm formula bottle automatically at the push of a button. No air bubbles, no fuss. Literally, choose your temp, select your ounces, push start, and you're done. Works with virtually all formulas and bottles. Say goodbye to the 3 a.m. feeding chaos and hello to this revolutionary stress-free solution. Raising a baby is hard enough. Let Baby Bretza make feeding a breeze. Get your Formula Pro Advanced at babybrezza.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.